Today on Happy Sad Confused, Andrew Rannells on his new show, Black Monday, and a new memoir, Too Much Is Not Enough. Hey guys, Josh Horowitz here. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Thanks so much, as always, for checking us out, guys. Uh, and thanks for checking out today's guest, Mr. Andrew Rannells. He, of course, you know him from his extraordinary work on stage, Book of Mormon, Falsettos, most recently in The Boys in the Band on Broadway, which I was privileged enough to check out. Um, and also his television work. You know, he was on Girls, of course. He's now in the new Showtime series, Black Monday, uh, which stars him alongside Don Cheadle from the minds of Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. Uh, a very entertaining new show on Showtime that you guys should check out. Uh, and he's also, he's one of those guys that, that sort of like touches every aspect of media. He's been in feature films, uh, A Simple Favor most recently, The Intern alongside Anne Hathaway and Robert De Niro. Um, he is a quadruple threat, an actor, a singer, a dancer, and now an author. Um, this podcast is a, is a conversation about all of these things. And I should mention that like the, the, the book that we talk about, and really it's not talking about the book so much as his life because the book is a memoir. The book is called too much is not enough. And I was lucky enough to get a sneak peek at it. It's not out till March. So, um, this is almost kind of a sneak peek of what's in there, but, um, you can definitely pre-order it, go on Amazon or wherever and pre-order it. And I do recommend it. It's, it's not your typical kind of showbiz memoir. It's, it's a book about the struggles on the way to stardom and achievement. It's, it, it literally is his life um, ending with his Broadway debut in Hairspray. Uh, but it's very entertaining, very open and frank about his life growing up in Omaha, his relationship um, with his parents, his, his romantic relationships, uh, his coming out to his parents, um, the death of his father. I mean, there's a lot of like serious stuff in there, but it's always done with a light touch, uh, with sincerity and emotion and honesty. And I definitely recommend it. So too much is not enough is Andrew's new memoir coming out in March. Check it out. And in the meantime, you can enjoy him in black Monday, which is, uh, this crazy kind of new, um, Dramedy, I guess you would say. It's a make, there's definitely drama. There's definitely definitely comedy in there. It takes place in the year leading up to the infamous stock market crash of '87, um, the wild '80s depicted in New York and the financial world. So check that out. What else to talk about? Well, there's the Oscar nominations. I mean, we should mention that for a second since I've talked to so many of the nominees here on Happy Sag Confused in the past year and, and years on this podcast. Um, you know, was I happy? Were any of us that happy? I don't know. I was happy for some things. I mean, I think uh, there were some nice surprises. I like that Spike Lee got in there for director for Black Klansman. I mean, that film has suddenly has a lot of momentum and could even take Best Picture, which was not necessarily the case even a week ago. I think people didn't think that. Um, certainly disappointed that uh, our buddy Timothy Chalamet, who seemed to be a lock for a supporting actor nomination, was going to get in there. Uh, I do think it's kind of crazy that Bradley Cooper didn't get a directing nomination. That being said, he's got three other nominations as an actor, as a, as a I guess as a writer and producer, I think. He, I, I know he has three Oscar nominations this year, so don't shed too many tears for Bradley, but it also does seem a little weird that A Star is Born um, didn't get acknowledged for the work behind the camera, because I think, um, I, I definitely think he deserved it. So that's a bummer for him, but like I said, not not worth our tears, probably. Um, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be a good show. I don't know, this was a weird year in, in filmmaking we're celebrating, and it's certainly a weird, eclectic uh, group of films that's being honored. Um, but 
you know, Black Panther, we got to mention that too, that, that, that the superhero curse at the Oscars is over. This is the first superhero film ever nominated um, for Best Picture. And that is a huge breakthrough, as is the fact that the first streaming film is nominated for Best Picture. Roma, leading the way with 10 nominations alongside The Favorite, also got 10 nominations. So a lot of interesting storylines to follow as we head into the last month plus of award season. Uh, and then it all concludes with the hostless Oscars at the end of February. Kind of weird, but I'll be watching. Uh, so anyway, that's my take on the Oscars in two minutes or less. Uh, I'm off to the Sundance Film Festival as I tape this as of tomorrow. So by the time you hear this, I'll probably be in snowy Park City, Utah, talking to tons of folks for MTV. So please do follow me along on social media, Joshua Horowitz on Instagram and Twitter. I'll post all of our content there. Uh, you can also just go to MTV News's uh, YouTube page or follow their socials. We're going to post a ton of content. I think by my last count, I'm talking to 15 or 16 different casts. That's not 15 or 16 people. That's 15 or 16 groups of people. Um, so it's going to be a busy week in Park City. I'm psyched to see a lot of new films, talk to some familiar faces and some new new faces. And uh, Park City is always a shot on the arm. Sundance is always like a, a blast because it really kind of revs up right as 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 the celebration of the year before is ending, it's nice to have Sundance to kind of push us into the new year, into 2019, to celebrate all that is new and fresh uh, and unique about the year to come. So uh, that's, that's on my docket. I hope you guys follow along, and I hope you guys enjoy today's conversation on Happy, Sad, Confused with Andrew Rannells. Once again, check out Black Monday on Sundays on Showtime and look out for his uh, memoir, Too Much Is Not Enough. Here's Andrew. Um, welcome to my weird little office. Well, thank you for having me into your weird office. I'm really enjoying your office. I feel very at home here. Good. That's a good yes. sign, I think. Yes. Um, I'm a great uh, fan of your work. Thank I've been, you. I've been, I've been reveling in all things Andrew Rannells the last few days, <laughs> thanks to your TV show, your book, which I've been enjoying. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you for reading I've it. I've been able to, I'm one thank of the lucky you. few that's gotten a, a sneak peek at this. Well, that's very nice. Um, so congratulations. Thank and, you very much. Uh, you have, you're, you're like one of those multi-hyphenates. Actor, author. Singer, dancer. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Yeah. yeah. Any any others that we should add to the no, list? No, that's it. I think that's it. That's those are that's your entire skill set. I mean, that's, that's probably my entire skill set. How would home you, organizer? Okay. Yes. How would you rank those skills? Those first four that I Uh I feel like I'm always gonna be I'll be an actor first. But I have to say, I really enjoyed writing this book, and I really enjoyed the process of writing. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to to do more. I'm excited to do more. And you, you had been writing before. You've done some short form stuff, right? Yes, essays, I had done, I've written a few essays. And actually, I had this deal at Universal, the screenplay deal, um, through Judd Apatow. Right. And we worked on a couple scripts that, like, we just, I'll be, I'll be honest, we just couldn't land on... Yeah. Um, Tonally, something that I felt good about and that he felt good about, and right. um, so that ended up just sort of going to the Hollywood graveyard. Right. Um, but then this book, when the book came about, it really did feel much more organic, yeah. and it felt more natural for me to be writing in that way. Like the screenplay thing, I always had sort of a hard time 
cracking a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but writing in this essay form felt very felt very good to me. Um, so there's a lot to cover, thanks to my newfound knowledge of your life, thanks to your <laughs> book. <laughs> I mean, I knew I knew the broad strokes, but now I know some particulars. You and probably I, know more than you need to know. No, no, yeah. I, I, <laughs> it's pretty frank and open, and I appreciate that about it, and I think people will. Um, but I appreciated it on a number of levels because. Um, well, it, it kind of ends where a lot would start, I yeah. feel like. Yeah. And I think that's the point of it, right, is like, you know, you, you, you've talked in interviews and you talk in the book a little bit about sort of the um, the glossy kind of bio in a playbill. Yes. And how that is not the sum of your parts. No, no. Um, those are the highlights. Yeah. And it's the stuff in between that really probably defines you much more. 100%. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. Talk to me about like sort of what the process was like. I mean, you are, you seem to be an open and frank person in the book. Was it like, did it come naturally? Yeah. I felt like there was no other way to do it. I felt like if I was going to do it, I certainly wasn't going to soft pedal anything or sort of leave out details. I mean, there were, you know, there's certainly, uh, sensitivity, I think. And I had the benefit of having a piece published in the New York Times uh, in the Modern Love section. Um, So I kind of got some insight as to what publishing an entire book um, was going to look like. Because, you know, there are questions asked and there are people... My family had feelings, and um, <laughs> families you know, have feelings. Families have feelings. Um, my friends, you know, remembered you know things in a maybe in a different way, or had questions about how things went down. So it was a good. Um, that was sort of good preparation for what this was going to be like. I will say, I'm impressed that if nothing else, uh, your your memory, because I feel like I remember. I feel like I have like knowledge of like the posters in this office, yeah. <laughs> and no memory of my childhood. Well, you know, what's weird about that is that. Focusing on that particular time, it was very clear to me. And as I continue to write now, sort of moving into the next phase of my life, a lot of the details I'm a little hazy on, Right, I got to say. Like things, I'm conflating years or months and like just sort of, it's it's odd that it's much clearer in my mind when I was younger. Right. And then I don't know if it's just because I was drinking more. I don't know. Maybe I was just going out more with those people uh, at that time in my life that like it's some of the details are a little hazy. Well, there are a few years, generally speaking, that do some, I mean, like I've talked about this a lot in the past, like I, the guests on here, when we talk about kind of like pop culture references and things we grew up with, it does seem like there are those, those formative years yeah. is really like when you're a sponge yes. at from like 12 to 17 and like you're, or maybe even mm-hmm. 10 to 15, I don't even know, yeah. somewhere around there where it's like, that's when you're defining oh, yeah. your pop culture taste. And I feel like I lost a whole chunk of pop culture time um, when I moved to New York, like in the late 90s and even the early 2000s. Like I wasn't watching television. Just because you were hustling, trying to make well, a living? Yeah, I was like were... living my life. Yeah. I was like out. I wasn't watching TV. So there were things that sort of happened and then I sort of caught up to later. But yeah. um, I was not watching in real time because I was a young person in New York who was like, I'm not staying in. Wait, you were living I'm going life? out. I don't. Yeah. I cannot relate anymore. Um, Sorry. <laughs> so there's like a, a, a chunk of, uh, of, yeah, of pop culture that's sort of missing from my... So, so, vocabulary. So going back even further. So you grew up in Omaha, That's which right. like to like I'm, I'm uh, I grew up here in, in New York. So okay. like to like so you're you like know, where's that exactly like yeah. evil like you know jaded like New Yorkers. It's like that's a punchline <laughs> in like a, in a, in a, a stand up set. That's not a real place. <laughs> that can't be real. Exactly. Yeah. So what are like the three things I need to understand that to, that define what Omaha is and make make it tangible for me? In other words. Okay. Um, 
probably the easiest in is that Omaha is the big city of Nebraska. Okay. So growing up in Omaha, I never felt like I was like a farm kid. Right. Or I was from the city. Yeah, you I'm weren't like, from Smallville with no. like Pot Kents nearby. No, so there, there were gangs and hookers and like there was like, you know, things. Oh, cool stuff. Yeah, cool stuff. <laughs> you know, cool stuff for kids. And, um, but it felt like we were like in a city. And it wasn't until years later when I went to New York for the first time that I was like, oh no, this is a city. <laughs> okay. But you grow up in a way that doesn't seem very, like I wasn't. Um, you were wanting for more. No, you were, I thought that we were, yeah, that we were living the big city life, Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So that's the one thing. Um, and there's also <laughs> like a, 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 I think a Midwestern, um, people I think you assume that everybody's like very friendly and very nice and like is really, but there's also like this strange undercurrent of like, I don't know. I was raised with a very dark sense of humor and, oh um, uh, there's a sort of jadedness or at least a chip on your shoulder. I remember particularly moving to New York when I was like, all these people think they're so special that they're from here. <laughs> Fuck you guys. And Fuck at the same you. time, I fit in. Yeah. Yeah. Look I at me. This happened so fast. <laughs> yeah. So there's a, a universal, um, yeah. Jadedness. To right. That. Yeah. Are there, are there other notable actors that have come out of I me? Mean, I think I was, I was entertained. The, the film. Sure, I was entertained. Well, when you go back, like if you really go back, so there's the Fondas. Oh, okay. Henry Fonda and uh, Dorothy McGuire. They're from, right. they're from Omaha. Marlon Brando was born in Omaha. Oh, it's in the water. Um, then. Okay. And then like more recently, it's like, you know, me and Brian Greenberg and, um, oh. uh, uh <laughs> why am I blanking on names now? That's well, good. um, Connor Daniel Oberst, Daniel Day Lewis, right. <laughs> um, Gabrielle Union. Oh, um, there's like a handful. Okay, is this yeah. a secret handshake you guys all share? And, um, Adam Devine. Oh, Adam Devine. Yeah, from, Adam okay. Devine. Although now Adam Devine's family they moved out of Nebraska, so I don't think he's he's coming back. I, but when I was home for Thanksgiving, Adam and I were in um, the Omaha airport at a, a bar called. Um, Cranky McGee's, I think, or Cracky McGee's, something like that. Both sound Just fun. at this weird airport bar, just like having some drinks before <laughs> our flights. Like I could see you playing family members in a film. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, we did that movie, The Intern, together, but we oh, didn't have anything together. That's we were right. never like in scenes together. Yeah. But then we did all of our press together. We did our junkets together, and right. it was really fun because he's just a he's a silly guy so was um so you were talking before like the no it wasn't the notion of new york wasn't like i gotta escape my my podunk town to get to new york but at the same time was there a, an image through pop culture through friends and family of new york that made you want to get there eventually sure well broadway was here so i knew yeah. that that's what i needed to i needed to be in new york to be a part of right Broadway. Um, and that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted more than anything. So like that was, I think the thing that was sort of driving me to get here was that I just wanted to be close to that. I right. wanted to be, you know, and even when I first moved here, um, I was living in Brooklyn Heights in this dorm, but I would still just like wander around the theater district because I just wanted to be close to it. I wanted right. to be near where that stuff was happening. Are you able to, now that you are full fledged New Yorker and have been for some time to suppress to to still appreciate in your it, some moments that like you know I'm in, I'm at the place where I always dreamed I was going to be and oh like, yeah yeah I mean uh, it's overwhelming at times I had a moment just recently where we had our uh, our Black Monday billboards up in Times Square yeah. next to a Book of Mormon billboard that is still me, um, <laughs> even though I left that show many years ago, but it's still my picture next to that. I had like these two 
huge billboards That's in Times Square that were made that I was very um, humbled and very excited by. So, so you, you talk about you know the obsession or or, or, or falling in love with Broadway and musicals. Um, I would think I mean that's not the first thing you do as a kid. I mean the, the first thing are probably just movies generally, right? Yeah, like, movies generally. And that's but your musicals. Dad. Yeah, my dad introduced me to like MGM musicals. Yeah. So that's mostly that's most of what I want, and then that sort of led to yeah. newer movie musicals, and then that my mother suggested I watch the Tony Awards one year. So, I mean, I did watch a ton of movies and a lot of television as a kid, but the musical aspect of it was really something that sort of plowed, you know, drove through that, that. So what were, what were they, if you had, or would have had movie posters or, or personalities on your walls, who are they? Or what, what well, they when have? I was, uh, maybe in the third grade, I bought a bunch of movie posters. There was Casablanca, Rebel Without a Cause, The Wizard of Oz. This is like a, and Gone with the Wind. Classic. I mean, like yeah. highbrow taste pretty high much for, taste a third, for a third grader. Yeah. Those were the posters that <laughs> were in my... Potemkin not I know, in there. Right? <laughs> Why isn't that in there? Now, Voyager. Um, no, but those, yeah, those were my my posters. That's amazing. Because you I had really... quite the attention span as a kid. Those are long movies. They're long movies. <laughs> I had never seen Gone with the Wind. Okay. I had never seen it. I didn't see that until I was probably 19 or 18. Right. Um, but the rest of them, yeah, I really like... I mean, you know, my dad was... Uh, that was one thing that we bonded over very early was this sort of like love of movies yeah. and he would let me watch things that I probably shouldn't have been watching. That's a but, the best way. Yeah. I remember, him wa- I remember watching a mini series with him in the eighties about the, it was called the murder of Mary Fagan. It was a true story about a young girl who was raped and murdered Aww. and then the wrong man was accused. It's a, it's a heartbreaking story. Um, <laughs> Jack Lemon was in it, I think. Um, I the age it's of a musical miniseries. Wait, it's a, it's, no, it's a it's musical not. now. It's called Parade. Oh, really? Yeah, and um, or this was a long time ago that, that came out. But um, but yeah, he let me watch that whole thing, and I was like, "What?" And he was like, "Not only had to explain to me like how she was murdered, but then also what rape no, was no, no, to no. like a second grader." <laughs> and I was like, "I'm sure my mother was thrilled that my father was explaining this to me." Now that you mention that, there was dark stuff as a kid, like in the even those network miniseries. Like oh, it was yeah. like the day after. Oof. Did you ever see that? That was like about a nuclear holocaust. Well, I remember Red Dawn with uh, Patrick Swayze right. and Jennifer Grey oh, and that everybody. Yeah, the that, Russians literally invaded us when they invade the school and just shoot up a. <laughs> High school for no reason. It's dark. And our play, my at my grade school, a playground was sort of set up like that. That I was like, oh, helicopters could easily land <laughs> and shoot right into my classroom. That fucked me up. Yeah, that movie terrified me. Charlie Sheen has this tearful goodbye with Harry Dean Stanton at like a fence. Uh, <laughs> yes, and then Jennifer Grey blows herself up. I mean, to save the lives of others. Jennifer Grey would do that. She's she the hero really, in our, for our she times. She's a hero. Um, she's a hero. <laughs> and then it's Patrick Swayze being Patrick Swayze. Like, I was just so flipping, flipping wide Roadhouse the other day on TV. That's one of those that I've always got to stop and watch. Dirty Dancing, I will stop whatever I'm doing and watch that. Right. It's yeah. the, it, it was Roadhouse that, is great. Before the, the kids these days, it's not even, I was going to say The Notebook, but The Notebook's even like a generation ago now, I feel yeah. like. <laughs> but Roadhouse is like, that's a tough one. Roadhouse, I confess, I I don't know if I've ever watched it straight through. Somehow, it, it, I should have. I should have seen it a thousand times. There's very scandalous sex scenes in there, particularly right. as a child. Like they show his ass a lot. Like that was it was like seemed very dangerous. I've heard the story. Bill, I've, uh, it's how I learned you could have sex standing up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he and Kelly. <laughs> he and Kelly Lynch have sex standing up, and I was like, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Bill, Bill Murray likes to tell the story where he calls his friend Mitch Glazer, who's married to Kelly Lynch, every time he sees Roadhouse on, it's like, oh, I'm Jesus. seeing your wife right now. Just getting railed. Basically. By Patrick Swayze. Classy guy, that Bill R. Murray. R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Seriously. I know. He's a good guy. So, okay. So there was, uh, growing up, as I understand, <laughs> yes, there's no segue. No segue. That's what I should call this podcast. No segues. Um, children's theater. Children's theater. A lot in of, the lots, neighborhood. Lots of that. Stay in the neighborhood. <laughs> Smooth transition. <laughs> Come on. I'm trying my best. <laughs> um, no, that, yes, that is how that happened. Kelly Lynch getting railed. I mean, look, it was all happening at the same time. Let's be honest. Right. If we're just doing a snapshot of the 90s, that's what was going on. Uh, um, um, so, yeah, that's around the time I started doing a lot of children's theater. So were you, were you like a big personality as a kid? I think of ch- uh, child actors yeah. being like just big personalities. No, I think I sort of, I was one of those kids, I mean, maybe in some ways, I'm probably not the best person to ask, but I think that I was one of those people that sort of was had a surprising personality on stage that people didn't expect me to be right. um, as energetic or mm-hmm. as have any kind of personality. I right. think I was pretty quiet for a long time. And it wasn't until I was like, got into high school and got a little more comfortable with myself and was also like doing more shows at like, you know, dinner theaters and community theater and doing that stuff that then I became more confident in that. I want to hear everything there is to know about dinner theater. About dinner theater? I really do. Because I'm fascinated. It's such a weird concept. You grew up in the city? Yeah. So I probably sound obnoxious, but like. No, I mean, I got my equity card at a, a theater in Westchester. The Westchester Broadway Dinner Theater. Um, and everybody was so, like, horrified who was in that show. But I had grown up doing dinner theater. Right. So the first professional job I had was at the Firehouse Dinner Theater doing On Golden Pond. And I was 12 years old. Playing all the roles. Playing all. It was a one-man <laughs> show. My one man on Golden Pond. <laughs> Watch that. Um, and that's so it was totally normal to me that, like, people would be eating vegetable lasagna while you're doing a scene. Like, that was normal. Right. So it must yeah. be just a luxury nowadays when you're doing Broadway and yes, people no are actually eating. paying attention. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Most sometimes. of the <laughs> Some real. I've been seeing a lot of theater recently, and I will say that theater etiquette has really gone by the fucking wayside. Really? Like, people just behave like animals. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not, I'm trying not to be like the, you know, school, the monitor of like manners in the theater, but right. I do find myself like speaking to people and being like, please don't do that. Do you, okay, this is, this is jumping around. We'll, we'll jump back to the dinner theater, but like when you've been on stage, are you one of those actors that's ever broken the fourth wall when you've seen something and given no. someone the business? No, I mean, I'm, I no. love those stories, by the way, when it's like Patty Lapone, like Patty Lapone will shit. shut it down. Yeah. yeah. No, I think the most we did, we happened, it happened this summer during Boys in the Band that a phone rang for a while and I think everyone instinctually just held right. on stage for a second. As if to draw attention to it and also shame the person, but also not be completely unprofessional. So we no one was like broke character per se, but right. I think everyone just sort of held for a moment. Like, so let's let this it. ring <laughs> go off, and then we'll continue with the show. Right. Um, but it is very frustrating. That so okay, so dinner theater, dinner theater. Um, eating and art, eating and art. So okay, so it was all you knew at the time. Well, yeah. it wasn't unusual. No, it didn't um, seem unusual at all. That's so, yeah, because my, my only memory of dinner theater growing up was watching, did you ever see Soap Dish? Sure, hell yeah. When yeah. he's doing Death of a Salesman. So, I mean, and it, there is an element of truth to that, yeah. that people do choke, people do, you know, <laughs> I remember having to like stop because some woman choked during a show one time, it was like while, while doing West Side Story, someone was gagging on, you know, a brownie sundae, so we had to like <laughs> hold the show, um, and that is a, yeah, that is a part of it. Yeah. I love that movie so much. I do too. Obsessed. Oh. That was actually, for Black Monday. 
day when we started working on like costumes and looks and it was a lot of Robert Downey Jr. Even though the timing oh, wasn't exactly but it, right, but the look, I was like, I need those glasses. That makes I need sense. that. Like that's sort of the vibe. Him and James Spader. I was like, let's. I was gonna Spader's in my J. notes. Fox, I see that. That's in there a little bit, but like, yeah, those were the two, three right. like big ones. This is probably one of the few shows where you probably don't want to steal the wardrobe. Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. Although it's funny, a funny thing happens when you do these period pieces that um, you do find yourself getting used to looking a certain way. Right. And while we were filming the show, I then like randomly bought like these very high waisted pleated Hugo Boss pants <laughs> that I got and wore once and somebody was like, are those from the set? Are you like, I was like, oh fuck. Damn it. I can't I started, tell I started doing it. I've started dressing like it. I'm starting coke in public yes, now. It's just, it's it's just all, all bleeding the wheels through. have come off. It's terrible. You talk, okay, no segues, podcast continues. Uh, back in <laughs> So your father's dead. <laughs> I was going to go that far. But, okay, we're following chronology. This is Dinner Theater Back Home. This is yep. Omaha, right? So you also talk frankly and openly about the book. There's like there, there's a lot about your sex life yep. in there. There's You talk about coming out to your parents yep. and them not necessarily being so surprised. I mean, was there not surprised at all. Was there still anxiety? I mean, that's a big moment for anybody, obviously, even yeah. if you have parents that are going to be supportive. No, there was definitely anxiety. I think my dad was very much of the mindset that it was a choice that I was choosing to be gay. And then about a year later, he said to me, I was home from college and he was like, I have been thinking about this and it's definitely not a choice because when you were about four, you wanted to be a solid gold dancer. And he was like, and I remembered that. And then I was like, oh, you know what? I guess he was. He was just trying to tell us back then who he was. Right. So it was, I'm happy that my father like came, came to that conclusion on his own. Um, my mother took the more sort of, I think, typical mother stance, which is she didn't want my life to be harder than it needed to be. And she sure. was also worried for my safety. Right. Um, and to her, not defense, but, you know, Matthew Shepard was murdered within the year that I came out. Right. So here she has a son who's roughly the same age, who's away at college, who kind of even looks like him. Right. And I think that was really hard for her to wrap her head around that I was like in New York City and also this had just happened somewhere. Right. So like, is that is that going to happen to you? Are you going to be safe? Are you going to be okay? And um, no place actually safer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, honestly, actually, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that was a big... So, But those were the two big, you know, yeah. I think they're big reactions. But everybody was very supportive, I got to say. Did... In growing up, did you have, like, role models? Like, 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 if and when you kind of, like, started to, like, come, become aware of your own sexuality when you were looking at the arts and said, okay, there's a path for me for a, a young gay actor to not be defined by that and to have all that you wanted out of a career? Or no? Not really. Yeah. I mean, I got to say... I got to say, yeah, there was not, there weren't really, I mean, there was the sort of one-off actors that would like the Rupert Everett's that popped up right. for a second. And that's not, you know, Rupert, he talks about it very openly yeah, that yeah. he feels like that really did affect his career. But that was, that was a very sort of inspiring moment yeah. to have somebody who was actually willing to say that um, uh, and come out publicly. But no, I didn't really have anybody specifically with, with the whole picture in mind. That came much later. So I think what I was more focused on was just professionally 
you know, because again, I wanted to be a musical theater actor. I was focusing on, you know, actors like the Jonathan DeCuchitz, who's in the Who's Tommy, and Brian Darcy James, who's in Titanic. Like right. you folk, I was focusing on like that's the type of thing that I sure. want to. Those are the roles that I want to play. But in terms of incorporating a personal life into it, that didn't happen for a long time. Is part of the reason why you're like so frank and open about like you know the sex life too, also in the book to kind of tell the story to young men or women and sort of see like, you know, I mean, it can apply to heterosexuals too. Yeah, it's not course. unique to whatever, no, no, no. But, but like, you know, we all have our <laughs> sordid mistakes in yeah. our romantic past and you're, yeah. and you own up to yours. Yeah. Um, yeah. did you find that cathartic? Was that like for yourself or for other people you feel like to write about that stuff? Well, I feel like within my group of friends, I all, we all speak very openly about these things. So it's no, I'm not, sort of squeamish about sharing those details. Right. And as I was writing this book and sort of keeping an eye on who might be reading it and um, wanting to be honest, I just felt like if, if I wanted it to sound like me, then it needed to sound like me. Yeah. And I needed to talk about the things that I normally talk about. So, And yes, to your point of like, I did want to own up to some of those mistakes yeah. because ultimately they weren't all mistakes and they sort of lead you to where you're supposed to be anyway. Right. And... That there's no shame in that. I feel like there's so much shame around sex and making choices and, um, you know, that everything has to be special or perfect or... Right. And it's not. It's not all special and perfect. And right. it does... It, it's impossible that it would be. Um, so I guess I just wanted to share that a little more openly just to say that, like, there's no, there's no harm there. As long as everybody is okay. And there were certainly moments in my past where I was not okay. And I was put in positions that I was not happy to be in. But um, sadly, that happens too. And yeah. there's a way out and there's a way through. And I feel like that um, was all part of the, was all part of my story. So. And luckily now you're, you're perfect. You have no problems. So. I have no problems. <laughs> I have to have a little dry mouth. So I'm going to have, have one of my bottle. tiny little waters. Um, let me have a tiny water. Um, yeah, no, everything's perfect now. Um, including your wonderful new show. Look at that. That was a segue. I did it. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. You did it. Um, I feel like there's an air of condescension in your, you did it. Not at all. That's how I sound. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, Black Monday. Okay, so we alluded to it a little bit. Let's just like, uh, get get some nuts and bolts out of the way. So, um, uh, a really fun, um, you know, snapshot of a time. Uh, when the market crashed, a huge crash, the huge crash of 87. Yep. And this is like kind of the year leading up. It's yep. an ensemble. It's you. It's Don Cheadle. It's a whole Regina mess of Hall, amazing Paul Shear, So great. Yeah. Um, were you looking for another series? Were you... I kind of was looking for another series. that was appealing, that yeah. kind of thing? Yeah. I really liked it because I got accustomed while working on Girls that I was able, I was very lucky that I could film a season of Girls and then maybe do like a, you know, a small part in a movie and then do a show on Broadway, like, you know, either, you know, be it a a replacing in something or, or, you know, a revival that didn't, it doesn't take as long to develop. So I really liked that, the life that I had doing that. So I was looking for another series. Um, and this one came up sort of as girls was wrapping up. Um, Seth Rogen, uh, and Evan Goldberg brought it to my attention right. and thought that they were like, I think this is a good project for us to work on. Um, and it took a while to come together. I yeah. mean, it, yeah, I was, I was attached to it for quite some time. Um, and you know, luckily in that time I did boys in the band and I did, uh, I, I did falsettos and, and then did, you know, Paul Feig's movie, a simple favorite. Like there were things that fit into that time, but I waited, I had to be, I had to be patient. Um, 
And then once it all came together and Don was attached and Regina came in, like, then it all moved yeah. very quickly. Um, but it was a good, again, a good lesson of just being patient because I knew that I, I knew this was the script that I wanted to do and this was the world and the story that yeah. I wanted to tell. So, um, but yeah, I had to, I had to be patient. I mean, I, I would imagine like many things, you know, I end up talking on, on this podcast about, it's like, it's about tone. It's about finding like sure, the right sure, key. Sure. Like to me, I mean, and I've only seen the first episode. It's like, you know. Of that time period, I always think of, you know, Oliver Stone's Wall Street. Mm -hmm. And it definitely feels like it's like, this is like the black comedy version in a way. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a drama and a mystery. We also have a robot butler. I love that. I mean. That made me happy. Yeah, right. (laughs) just made me happy. I hope there's a scene at some point with somebody on a beach with a giant cell phone. Kyle comes around. Yeah, Kyle, the robot butler. He's there. He's definitely there. <laughs> These are like the, the touchstones I didn't even realize I want, needed to see. Like yeah, it was actually very comforting. And there you are. Yeah. I'm like, I'm it back. was very comforting watching as much, you know, as many movies as I did as a kid to then be in those clothes and be in the, you know, smoking a cigarette in like a, you know, doctor's office or whatever. Like I was like, oh, it's the 80s. Like I'm really here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really. <laughs> <laughs> is there an 80s consultant on set or there is there or is everybody's we an 80s all consultant? At the right I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> that it was pretty easy to figure out. I mean, one of the, like the technical thing was like there was like some slang issues that like if we improvised certain slang or certain you can't like, say anybody's woke yet it's you too, can't too say woke <laughs> um, yeah but just that was a funny thing to get into be like did were people saying that then is that a thing we can say yeah does that seem too contemporary yeah and you shot all the entire season I would imagine by now yes, yes. Say, I finished the whole thing it was pretty fast and furious yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so okay so, so in terms of it's interesting because like you know you're Arguably, your, your greatest successes have been on stage, like yes. thus far, right? I mean, yeah. that's yeah. fair to say. I, and by the way, I, I saw Boys in the Band. I loved it. Oh, thank you. I actually you. ran into Zachary on my way down here. Okay, oh, out. So apparently, I'm seeing all of you He's guys in the today. Who's, who's next? <laughs> Matt Bomer. Bomer, exactly. I'll be lurking around a corner. <laughs> Look out. Showering like he did in the show. Everybody's staring at his bum. Oh, Christ. I, I mean, know. it's so really jarring. I, yeah, for all of us. It's really upsetting. <laughs> Pretty, pretty guy. <laughs> he is. He's a living Ken doll. But yeah. I mean, at least he's got the talent to back it up. I mean, there are moments where you know you look at Matt and you're like, I remember saying to Jim Parsons, like, how is that a man? <laughs> and I'm a man. <laughs> Do we have the same genes? Like, like we, same how genetic does that pool? work? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, I can buy. Me, not so much. I but mean, whatever. it's a value. No, no. <laughs> so I guess my point is, okay. So like, obviously, again, again, I know we're jumping all around. Mm-hmm. The Book of Mormon took off like a yes. rocket ship in the days and weeks and year after that, did you like have a sense of what to do or what you wanted to make out of that or what the path was? Because that's the, that's the kind of role any actor in your position probably dreams of. Yeah. And then it's like, what next now? What? Well, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, in the back of my mind, uh, had, a. I knew if I was ever presented with this that opportunity, that there was a certain like list of things that I should do. Yeah. Um, mainly based on watching Christian Chenoweth do it. So Christian Chenoweth was in Your Good Man Charlie Brown. Right. She had this killer Tony performance that then got her a development deal at NBC. She made her show. It didn't continue past a season, but she did that and then was able to parlay it into like more TV gigs and some movies and came back to Broadway. And I remember looking at her specifically and thinking, okay, so if you get the moment, this is what you do. You've really got to act fast because there's no time. And part of it sort of, you know, so it was no, I I can't say it was, 
it wasn't a surprise because we were getting so much attention yeah. that Josh and I were going to be given some opportunities yeah. um, that normally don't come from Broadway shows. But it became very clear very quickly that like as when Hollywood starts coming to Broadway, it's a very different ball game. So then all of a sudden I was being invited out to Los Angeles to meet with people. And that led to a show on NBC. Right. It was also canceled. Um, you know, it's like, it's strange that I picked that path and then it happened. <laughs> you, you did um, it. <laughs> I did it to myself. <laughs> um, so I think it was NBC that she was on. I'm pretty positive. That sounds right, um, yeah. But, uh, so, but and in the meantime, um, this show called Girls came up, which nobody... Lena Dunham was this sort of wonderkin writer who, you know, had made this movie at Sundance and everybody was freaking right. out about it. And so when that... I got an offer, you know, to to play this part on the show. Nobody really knew what it was, so it was kind of like the wild card. It was like I shot it in a day. They had me come back and do one more day and another episode and then another day. And, like, it was this thing that was, like... Nobody knew what it was going to be, and it was it was sort of crazy um, that it was all kind of happening at the same time that I was doing the Book of Mormon, and then by the time it aired, it was then very clear that like that was going to be the big deal. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, best laid plans. I guess, right? So how long? So how long? What were you and Josh doing Book of Mormon for? We did it for almost a year and a half. Yeah, that's a run. That's a real run. (laughs) It was a real run. Yeah, but we yeah we. we both got these pilots and then shot our pilots, came back and did the show some more. They got picked up the right. same week. Um, and then we left the same week. What, uh, you mentioned Hollywood kind of like came calling. Like yeah. I would imagine every night at a certain point it started to like who was going to come backstage. Yeah, it was who, pretty who, crazy. What are the ones that stick out for Oprah. you? Oprah. <laughs> Oprah's a real big one. Um and did you like? Did generally, did you like to be told like beforehand, or was it like a nice surprise at the Oof. end of the night? Like we were so. I mean, I, I can only speak for myself. I was so unprofessional that at a certain <laughs> point in the show, because a lot of it was sort of presentational, that we were looking at the audience as oh, we were right. performing, and the bleed of the light went back pretty far. And it's not a huge theater to start with, so you'd see people, and then we'd look <laughs> on stage and be like, "Oh my god." James Franco's here. Or like, look at that. It's Seth Rogen. Like, we could see pretty clearly. Right. I mean, I remember Catherine Heigl smoking her e-cigarette in, like, the center of the... (laughs) Something I can't unsee. Um, That's going to be the last thing in your mind's eye before you die. Yeah, Anna Wintour with her sunglasses on. Like, there was a lot of things going on. Hillary Clinton and Nana Rodham and Chelsea Clinton all came and sat in a row together. Like, those were crazy evenings. Hugh Jackman, that was a good one. With Nicole Kidman, that was super fun. It's another night. Yeah. Did any like lasting relationships come out of just people that became that were fans of yours and came backstage? That like did it? I'm f- I'm close with John Hamm now, and that's where we met was during the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Um, and then that sort of continued into L.A. He's a he's a very cool, um, also Midwestern guy, right? Who I think you know was was very helpful and was, was very. Uh, um, open about sort of what that is to so then all of a sudden yeah. be have, having worked for a long time and then having like overnight success yes. is what kind of a mind trip that is. And, um, yeah, he could probably write the book on that. Yeah. So he was, he's been very helpful, but that, that sort of came from there. I forced a relationship with Judith light. <laughs> um, whether you like it or not, we are friends now. <laughs> we're friends now, lady. Burned at Peter's made that happen. Wouldn't let her go till she gave me her phone number. Like there are things like that. I that mean, I why really, not? You got to take advantage. Yeah, that, that, those kind of things don't happen 
yeah. very often. There was, a, I feel like I can tell this story now because of things that have happened, but there was a night where Josh and I were, our dressing rooms were next to each other. They were very small. And there was a knock at our door and we, like both of our doors, and we opened up our doors to our dressing room and it was Goldie Hawn, Joel Schumacher and Kevin Spacey. And they were not together. <laughs> they all individually came up. Right. But then worked their way into like my dressing room. So Josh and I were still changing and we were standing there trying to like entertain Goldie Hawn, Joel Schumacher and Kevin Spacey. And Kevin Spacey said to me, in a very small room, smaller than this office, um, we should have dinner sometime. And Joel Schumacher looked at me and very loudly said, do not go out with that man. (laughs) 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 So I was like, all right, well, there's the advice. There we go. What was Kevin's I did not go out with that man. Everyone laughed. It was like, yeah. But don't. No, seriously, don't. Don't do it. Seriously, don't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. (laughs) Always. This is what I've always said. Always listen to Joel Schumacher. Schumacher. That yeah. man knows things. He does. He knows things. Um, <laughs> so that just gives you a little of the craziness of That's that amazing. show, that time. Yeah. And, and and all that kind of stuff is the next memoir, presumably. Sure, yes. But like, what, what's fun about again jumping around? But like, and I alluded to this before, is the book is about sort of like the the stuff in between and even before your Broadway debut. But I'm also fascinated by the fact that you've said like, even post your Broadway debut in Hairspray, yeah. you were, you were temping. You like had yeah. odd jobs. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, it turns out. Yeah. It doesn't, that money that I thought was so huge in that moment at working on Broadway did not stretch in Manhattan as long as I thought it would. Like I thought I had saved yeah. enough and, and my contract ended rather abruptly after like a year and a half of being in Hairspray where they just, you know, it's a long-running show, so they switch up contracts. And after nine months of playing Link Larkin, it was time for someone else to do it. And um, so I found myself unemployed very unexpectedly. And, yeah, I had to temp, and I had to, like, go away and do very sort of sad regional theater jobs that I was like, how do I, how will I ever get back to Broadway? What was the thing in the Finger Lakes? I went to school in the, fin- <laughs> I went to school in the Finger Lakes. Where did you I go? I went to Hobart. Okay. This yeah. was in Auburn. Okay. I don't even know. Okay. I did um, a production of Miss Saigon at the um, Merry-Go-Round Theater. Oh, that's legendary, that production. That production. <laughs> we, had half, we had half a helicopter. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. It's just half. <laughs> it was just half. Um... But I wanted to do that show, and I wanted to go to the Finger Lakes. What? It's a beautiful region, wineries. I, uh, yeah. No, a lot of fruit wine. <laughs> a lot of fruit I'll wine. I'll take Napa next yeah, time. Yeah, I think they have, like, a nice Riesling. I think they do Got better one with... one particular yes, wine. Yes, there's some nice sweet wines that they're good at. Um, were you ever recognized, like, when you were doing, like, a job in between shows? Yeah. At- yeah, I was recognized from Hairspray. This woman was like, oh, I just took my kids to see that. And here I was doing, like, weekend temp work, um, which was really soul-crushing. It's got to—beyond even soul-crushing, it's a bit of a mind fuck too. Because yeah. you're going, like, from, like, standing O's yeah. in a theater, to living the, the dream, yeah. and then it's— Well, and it was—but it was good—it's all a good reminder of how sort of fragile it all is and how— yeah. I mean, and on a practical level, like, save your money. Yeah. Like, it's all the things that people tell you to do that, like, I just wasn't really doing and had to learn later. So then by the time that I was in, when I got Jersey Boys finally, like, I was much better about right. saving money, being smart. I stayed in that show for, as, you know, as long as I could. And then, you know, was that I made, I think, better choices that second time around. Are, are you good with, I mean, obviously, you're not coming back to temping the rest of your life, but there are ups and downs know. for every career yeah. um, where you miss out on jobs you wanted or whatever. Are you better at kind of managing the ups and downs now, or do, 
do things still I think bother so. you? I mean, I assume that every job I have is my last job, sort of. It's that, you know, strange yeah. actor mentality. Um, but no, I think that I, I uh, yeah, I, I think I'm better at the big picture at this point. Right. Yeah. How are you with the auditioning thing? Is that, because I've talked to actors, some, some view it as like, it's an opportunity. It's like, yeah. you know, I don't get to act a lot, so this lets me act, or others yeah. are like, this is going to crush my spirit for the thousandth time. No, I don't have a problem with auditions. I mean, um, no, I just auditioned for something recently that's like, it's a good, it's also a good opportunity for you to try the material. Sure. Um, and see if you want to do it and see if it even is a good fit for you. Because I've been offered things in the past where you you say yes to things and you're like, fuck, can I actually do this? Is right. this actually a thing I can pull off? Yeah. Um, how do I, do I even know how to do this? So, no, I think auditioning, there's some benefit on both sides. Do you feel like that. you have in your mind's eye like a, an idea of like what... Because we, we've said you, you theater, you've got it. You've squared away. You're doing <laughs> everything, and, and and don't get me wrong, you're doing amazing in TV and film, obviously. But like it, in film in particular, I'm curious, yeah. like how, where do you imagine yourself? Like, I'd like to write more. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to go back to. I'd like to, to take another whack at, at screenwriting. Um, I think particularly even with this with this Black Monday experience it was the first time I've been a producer on anything, right. and, and that was very educational and very informative. That I feel like going into writing another screenplay with some of those things in mind, I think I would be better at it now. Right. So I'd like to give that a shot. I would imagine having folks like Seth and Evan along, at least yeah. at the start, too, was Well, helpful. and watching them work. You know, Lena was the same way. Judd was the same way. Like, But you have to figure out what your... What is your voice and how do you... And, you know, now having finished this book, I feel like I have a much better sense of how I do actually write and how right. that could be translated into dialogue and how, like, things that I didn't... No, before. What, yeah. Are there kinds of fi- like what, what kind of film is in your wheelhouse to write? Do you think? Because there's an analogy. I mean, I'd love to crack the gay romantic comedy thing that I don't think has been in the mainstream right. yet. I feel like there's a uh, definitely there's stories to be told there, multiple stories to be right. told there. Um, so I would like to, yeah. It feels like, yeah, because like I'm off to Sundance tomorrow. And it's like, I'll probably, there are probably yeah, four probably of those. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, but there's not, it hasn't been done at least very often and well yeah. on the mainstream level. Well, because so often it's about being gay. It's right. about coming out. It's about someone who's upset about someone coming out. Like, so it'd be nice just to like chuck all that and just start with, yeah, jump into the middle of it. Just actual human beings, as opposed yeah, to being people, defined by their sexuality. Like <laughs> Imagine humans. that. What could we do? What? That? Is that a thing we could do? Well, I don't think so. Bad, bad idea, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, do you go up, or are you interested in like every like movie musical that's made nowadays? You haven't done one yet, which is surprising. No, I haven't done one yet. Um, no, I don't know. You know, you hear grumblings about these things that happen and then don't end up happening. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, if something came along that felt like it was the right fit. Right. Absolutely, but yeah. Is there a musical you think that hasn't been adapted for film yet that you're like, why haven't they done that? Uh, I'm waiting for nothing. the new. I'm waiting for a new version of Guys and Dolls. I'll be honest. Oh, I'd really? like to see that. Though. Well, see, that was one that like it, that was kicking around for a while. There I know. Was, like, talk. That's about what I'm that. saying. Yeah. So you never know. I mean, there's always talk of that. <laughs> Barbara Streisand Gypsy. When's that coming in? Yeah. Well, Barbara likes when's, to take her time. When's she's, that happening? I don't know if you've heard. She's. I think she's like seventy. Well, something now. Yeah. Are you trying to ruin your relationship with Barbara? Did she ever come to Book of Mormon? I don't have. She didn't come. No, she came. She came to the Book of Mormon. Okay. Yeah, she came to Book of Mormon, and she came to Hamilton when I was when I was in Hamilton, and um, yeah, the first time I met Barbara Streisand in person, 
I was with Josh Gad and we were at a party in LA and James Brolin was so nice to us and he was chatting with Josh and I and he was like, do you want to meet Barbara? And we were like, yeah, we want to meet Barbara. <laughs> so he took us over to Barbara and um, she was wearing all like Donna Karen white, but she was eating a chicken wing. Sure. Because we were at this like party <laughs> and she was eating a chicken wing and he was like, Barbara, these are the boys from the Book of Mormon. And she just waved her chicken wing at us. <laughs> And I was like, this is the best thing. This is the best way we ever could have met her. Like, nothing's better than that. She there any, just, yeah. yeah. Is there yeah. anybody left on the list? You got Oprah, Barbara, uh, Bernadette. Bernadette. I got, <laughs> Patty, I got Patty Lapone in my back pocket. No. Um, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good, yeah. I've been, I've been lucky. You're, I've been real lucky. You're off to a good start. We're just getting started. Just collecting, collecting actresses. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you're going to, for the next book, it's a tell-all. You're going to tell yeah. all, all those, the Who nasty these stories. Ladies? Yeah, of all the people that, that I've, waved I've, chicken wings at you. I've, you know, but it was very charming. No, that's that very she sweet. waved a chicken wing. She's human. She's she just was like eating. Stars and we are just like her. us. They yeah. wave chicken wings. Her husband has brought over these two dumb boys to say <laughs> hi. Like, what does she care? She want to meet us? There you go. She's trying to eat a goddamn wing. Um, you finished Black Monday. Everybody should check it out. It's yes, on please. Showtime. Uh, Sundays. Sundays. Uh, Although no one watches live television anymore. We're, we sound old though. We, what I know. we just did. But yeah. It's, not, it's true, though. People watch it on all sorts of... And I didn't even realize, like, so many people are like, oh, I don't have Showtime. But then you can watch it through, like, Prime. Right, you I think can they watch put the first one on YouTube Hulu, or something, put it on too. YouTube. Yeah. Like, there are ways to... Because I don't have cable anymore, I'll be honest. Um, but then you can get those channels. Like, right. I still have those channels through other avenues. There you go. I feel like a real grandpa. I was going like, to say, this is, this is our next podcast. Yeah. Just advice from 40-year-olds about yeah, tech. Yeah, 40-year-olds talking about <laughs> tech. <laughs> this is how you tweet. Wow, you can do a voice memo. <laughs> there was a great, I don't know if you watched CBS Sunday morning this past week. I did not see it. They, but. they have this amazing, because Mo Rocca starts his own podcast, has started his own oh, podcast. Okay. And there's a segment on CBS Sunday morning where they explain to the audience like what a podcast, what a podcast is. is. That's amazing. It's adorable. That show makes me very happy. It's the pace of it, the feel it. of it. It's That's my dream. That's the next comforting. phase of my career. I want to be I a correspondent on that. No, I want it. Let I me, let me have that. Andrew. No, we're both doing it then. Okay. Can we do it together? Sure. Okay. We can do that. Um, we'll have to slow down our speech significantly. That can be arranged. Yeah. Uh, less yeah. coffee. I've been sipping iced coffee. Right. Well, um, it's good to get to know you today. Yes, you too. This has Thank been you awesome. for having me. Thank you for dropping by. This uh, is fun. Again, everybody check out uh, Black Monday and check out the memoir. It's amazing. So when it's out? Uh, March 12th. This is an early sneak peek. This is an early, yeah. So the book is out March 12th. Okay. But available for pre-order now. <laughs> What just happened? That was my announcement voice. Okay, just checking. My gentle announcement voice. I look forward to the next installment, and you're welcome here anytime. Thank you. I'd love to be back. Thanks. Thanks. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. 